Uh, that video was uh, was a compilation of a lot of things, but the, the speech that you heard was a speech President Reagan made. Um, I believe it was in the early 80s, 1983, 84, somewhere in there, and uh, on Memorial Day. And he mentioned a young man named Martin Treptow, who's the one who had the uh, who had the thing in his pocket that said uh, that I'm going to fight this war as if it depended upon me alone. Martin Treptow was uh, uh, was part of the Rainbow Division in World War One. It's famous for their efficiency and effectiveness at trench warfare, which was uh, very important to winning that war. And another another soldier that was in the Rainbow Division in World War One was a colonel who later on would be elevated to the rank of general. But in World War One in the Rainbow Division, he was chief of staff. Of, uh, of that division, and he was uh, later elevated to general. He received a Medal of Honor. He was the first man, first American ever to have received a Medal of Honor, who was also the son of a man to have received the same distinct uh, uh, award of uh, distinction. And so both he and his father were Medal of Honor um, recipients for their service to our nation. In World War II, this man, uh, this colonel uh, who had been elevated to general would serve as the, uh, as the chief uh, and commander of the United States Armed Forces in the Far East. He was an Arkansas native. His name was General Douglas MacArthur. He was born right down the road here in Little Rock, Arkansas. In fact, General MacArthur was the one who received the official surrender from the Japanese and on September the 2nd, 1945, which officially ended all conflict in World War II. The famed General MacArthur, this Arkansas native, once said that in war, there is no substitute for victory. And so, as we think about the victories that have been brought to our nation through the sacrifice of others over the years from the American Revolution all the way into the most secret and uh, top secret and most remote operations that are happening in other parts of the world today, year after year, people continue to give their lives for the cause of freedom. And we are also reminded when we think of those things, we are reminded of the one who gave himself over to death 2019 years ago to bring freedom and victory to any and all who would receive it through faith in him and his name. The name of the one that brings ultimate victory, his name, is the name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, and through Jesus we have access to forgiveness and to the love of God through faith in him. God has been so faithful to us, and we are called as believers to be faithful to him. This morning, as we look at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to see a passage written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his chief disciple, his son in the ministry. Scholars tell us that these are the last words that the Apostle Paul will write. This is the last record of anything that was written by the Apostle Paul. And so this, this, this uh, book of 2 Timothy, particularly 2 Timothy 4, now the last chapter of that book, or the last things that Paul is going to write. And as he does, he's going to encourage Timothy to go ahead and press on and 
to keep going in his ministry and in his faith. And, uh, and as he does that, as he charges Timothy to keep on fighting, he will give us also a glimpse into what it means to be a faithful servant of God. So I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 8, but just for the context, and we're going to start verse 1. Uh, but we really will zero in on verses 6 and 7 this morning. So let's look at this together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they, when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness towards us. And we pray that this morning, as we just zoom in on this passage, that we would get a glimpse and a clue about what it means for we as believers to live for you, to serve you, be faithful to you. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about the requirements of faithful service. What does it mean to be always faithful? Well, we see this in, in 2 Timothy 4. first thing that I want you to see here, there's a lot of things here, but the first thing I want you to see here is in, in verse 6. We're reminded that faithful service to the Lord requires sacrifice. Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is close. He's telling Timothy, he's telling him that, uh, that he knows. He knows that, uh, that, that, his, that the end is near. He knows that his death is, is, is right in front of him. He is about to, be, uh, about to lose his life. And he is acknowledging that. He is also acknowledging the sacrifice that is being made. He acknowledges when he, when he says this, he is acknowledging serving God. Paul was serving God. He was doing the right thing, and yet he's facing execution because of his faith. And for some reason, he's okay with that. Now, he's not saying that being faithful to God has been easy. He's not saying that being faithful with God has been a cakewalk. He's not saying, boy, I can't wait to have my head cut off. He's not saying any of that. But he's acknowledging the reality 
that his faithfulness to God is, uh, has required great sacrifice out of him. Now, now if you remember, we, we've been in and out of the book of Ephesians. And if you remember a little bit about the book of Ephesians, just the origins of it. The book of Ephesians was written in about 62 A.D. And Paul has been in prison because of his faith at, the, at that time in the book of Ephesians. Paul had been in prison for about five years. Now, about a year later, about a year or so later, after he writes the book of Ephesians, he is released from prison. Now, when he's writing the book of Ephesians, and although he was in prison, and he had endured a lot of things up until that point, he had kind of, uh, kind of elevated, his situation was elevated to where he was allowed to have uh, some normalcy in life in the days where he's writing the book of Ephesians. He was on house arrest. He was not allowed to leave, but people could come back and forth and visit him. But a year or so later, he's released from prison. He goes off. He starts doing more ministry, sharing the gospel, going all over the world, teaching people about Jesus. And he does that for about three and a half, four years, and then he's arrested again. In the second time when he's arrested, uh, see, there's a new emperor in town. His name is Nero. Nero was uh, what uh, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists today would call a sociopath. He has no moral compass, no real understanding of right and wrong. He has no, uh, no, no conscience that is displayed for anything wrong that he does. And so when Paul's arrested this second time, it is bad. He's treated even worse, and he knows that he is facing death. And that is when he writes, towards the end of that time, after his second arrest, is when he writes this passage to Timothy. This time, Paul was in prison. He was in chains. Scholars and historians tell us that he, he, was, he was actually chained to a Roman guard. He, he was, this Roman guard was with him. Now, he may have had a little bit of slack on that chain, but he, he was in chains the whole time, and he was helped, helped captive. He was on a leash the entire time. Listen, Paul understood sacrifice. Paul understands what it means to be faithful to God and that faithfulness to God will cause us and require of us sacrifice. And the truth is that for many of us, we would not have endured half of what Paul was, uh, had faced up to this point. You know, first time we were arrested for trying to do the right thing, we would have said, you know, God, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with you. You know, I, I was doing the right thing, and this is what I get. This is what you give me for trying to do the right thing. Uh-uh. I'll see you later. I'm out. That's how a lot of us would have been. A lot of people who, who call themselves Christians, I, I've seen it over and over again. They, uh, they, they say they believe in Jesus, and the first time they experience trouble or tragedy, heartache, they get mad at God, they get discouraged, they decide that it's too hard spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever, and they just kind of pick up their marbles and they just go somewhere else. Some people, they, they get mad at something at a church and they, they say, oh, I'm going to go to a different church. But, but most people, a lot of people, I say most people, but a lot of people, they just they don't go to a different church. A lot of people, they just stop going anywhere. They stop praying. They stop searching. They stop 
asking of God. They stopped seeking God. They stopped see, uh, you know, studying the Word of God. They stopped singing praises to God. They just stop it all. And then somewhere, you fast forward from that point, a few years, sometimes it's a year or two, sometimes it's five or ten years, they have this point in life where they realize that they didn't make anything any better by running from God, but they made it worse. They're running from God. They realize many of them running from God really was not the answer because they were running from the one who wanted to provide for and protect them. They were running from the one who wanted to love them and guide them and give them wisdom. They are running from the one who, although they themselves were weak, he wanted to give them strength to be able to press on through the difficulties in order to, to be able to make that sacrifice, they are running from the one that has been most faithful to them. And his name is Jesus. Lamentations 3, 22-24 says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Does that sound familiar to you? There was a song in 1923 that was written that was based on that passage. We sing it a lot in here today. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Paul says, the end is near. I have sacrificed a lot. And Paul knows that it was worth it. It was worth it. It was hard, but it's worth it. Look at what Paul says. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's part of the Old Testament sacrifice system. When God ordained that they would sacrifice a, a lamb, um, a, a, a ram or a bull, those kinds of things, they would sacrifice the meat. But part of that sacrifice process is that they would take some wine, about a quart, sometimes half a quart, depending on which sacrifice they were doing, and they would pour that wine into the basin of the altar, and it was a sacrifice, it was a drink offering. Now, if you study the symbolism of Scripture, we understand that the drink offering, the wine that was poured in at the sacrifice in those days, was a reflection, it was symbolic of the blood of Jesus that would be, and now as we look back, the blood of Jesus that now from our perspective has been shed for the sins of the world. That's why when Jesus takes the cup at the Lord's Supper, He institutes uh, what we call the New Covenant. Uh, he takes the cup and He says, this, is, this cup which is poured out for you is the New Covenant in my blood. It reminds us that drink offering of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins, but it also reminds us of the faithfulness of our God who not only promised to 
bring redemption, that he delivered that redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. God has been faithful to us. I want to draw your attention to a passage in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. It says that a person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ. We're to be considered as managers of God's mysteries. But verse 2, I want you to see this. In this regard, it is expected of managers, talking about believers, disciples of Christ, it is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. We are to be faithful. And faithfulness will require sacrifice. But it will also require struggle. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My time is near. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. From day one of his journey, faithfulness for Paul, his faithfulness to God was not easy. You remember the road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus for the first time? The place of his, his conversion? He, uh, he is blinded on the road to Damascus. That wasn't very easy, by the way. Uh, his companions that were with him thought he was a raving lunatic. They thought, well, you know, maybe he's just you know, really drunk and we didn't see him drink anything. But they really thought probably he had just gone mad. He was just crazy. The desert sun finally got to him. See, it wasn't very easy for him. But Paul recounts some of his journey and the difficulties that, that he faced in 2 Corinthians 11. I don't think this is on the, on the board, but I want you to see, verse, starting in verse 24 here, if you're there. Paul says, five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent... A night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. First, let me tell you something. Paul had his struggles. He understood sacrifice. But he also understood that he was going to have to fight in order to keep on going. Spiritually, it was a struggle for the Apostle Paul to serve God. Physically, he endured hardships. Emotionally, he had to fight. Spiritually, he had to fight. He tells, he tells the Christians in Rome, in Romans 7, he talks about this spiritual fight that he's dealing with. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But verse 23, he says, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he says, who can rescue me from, from, from uh, this subject of, 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 of death, from, from this body that is subject to death? But he says, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul 
records over and over throughout Scripture, we see this struggle that he goes through. We think, hey, Apostle Paul, he was like super Christian, you know? I mean, he was the ultimate disciple of Jesus, but yet he struggled. And he had to fight through those struggles. That's why he tells the Ephesians, and we haven't gotten there yet in our study of Ephesians, but we will get there in the fall in Ephesians 6. He says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. You see, serving God and being faithful to God is a fight. It is a battle. It is a struggle. And yes, there are days when you wake up and you, 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 uh, you hear the angels singing, maybe not literally, but in your soul, you wake up and you think, I couldn't be any better if I were in heaven right now, you know? You just have those days, and those days do come, and praise God when they do. But I want to tell you, uh, more often than many people realize, serving God and truly being faithful unto Him can be a struggle. But listen, you cannot forget who you are. You cannot forget who you are. If you're going to be faithful to God, you need to realize who you are in Christ. Scripture teaches us that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you're not just any old person. Scripture teaches us that you are a child of the King. You've been adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And you can be Faithful to Christ because it is Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, who is inside of you, that is guiding you and giving you that strength that you can draw upon, giving you and offering you the wisdom that you can accept or reject. But it is Christ in you that gives you the ability to be faithful to God. Don't give up on serving God. Don't give up on being faithful unto Him because... It's hard. You see, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, you see, their faith is dependent upon time and place. You see, for a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, it really depends on where they are, when it is, and who they're around. See, on, on Sundays, when they're, you know, it's church time, and then they go to church, and then they're around church people, see they act like church people, don't they? They put on their church clothes and they use their church words and they get out their church Bible and they sing their church songs. They do church things by shaking people's hands and saying welcome and God bless you and you know what I'll pray for you. You see, they use a lot of church language. But a lot of people, some of those same people, maybe not all of us in here, but some of the same people that do that, See, when they're in a different place, a different time, around different people, they act completely differently from than the way that they do when they are here around God's people. Listen, don't give up on being faithful to God. Don't fall into the trap of having a temporary and a time and place dependent faith. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, be Faithful to Him. Live like He is your Lord every day, every hour, around every person, regardless of whether it is convenient or easy. Be faithful unto God. Being faithful requires sacrifice. It requires struggle. 
The third thing it requires is strength. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. Has it been easy, this race? No, it hasn't been easy. It's been difficult. It's been tough. It's been a struggle. It's required sacrifice. He has had to fight through it, but it was the strength of God that ushered him through every bit of it. It was the strength of God. God knows that it's going to require sacrifice. God knows that you're going to struggle, that you're going to have to fight. And that's why God will provide you with the strength that you need if you will trust in Him. You see, He's faithful unto us. So faithful that in His faithfulness and in His strength, He can cause us to be faithful unto Him. It's really all what God is doing in our lives. The question is whether or not we're going to trust Him and surrender to Him. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, But He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses and insults and catastrophes and persecutions and then pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 1992, the Olympics, about halfway through the 400-meter race, one of the runners, Derek Redmond, pulled a hamstring muscle and collapsed there on the track. Thriving in pain, he watched the other runners pass him quickly, and, and just like that, his dream of winning an Olympic medal was gone. He was watching that, and in an instant, though winning was out of the question for him, he knew that he could not win at that point, but he was determined to finish the race. And medical professionals began to uh, uh, begin to come on with a stretcher to take him off of the track. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm going to finish the race. I'm not getting on that stretcher, he told them. So there's about 16,000 people packed in that stadium, millions watching around the world. And Derek slowly struggled up to his feet, began hobbling towards the finish line, tears streaming down his face. He was disappointed. He was in pain, yet he was determined to finish that race. And it was at that moment that a man comes out of the crowd. He begins running towards Derek. The security officers try to respond. They couldn't get to him in time. People try to try to try to contain this man, but the man keeps on going. He gets all over to the runner, to Derek. And, and, and he says, son, it's me. It's your dad. And then Derek turns to his dad and he says, I want to finish this race. I want to finish the race. And so at that point, Derek's dad said, if you're going to finish the race, then we're going to finish it together. And with those words, the father took his son into his arms and they began to hobble down the track and in total disbelief, all these people stood there. They began to cheer. The crowd was roaring with every step. And at the finish line, Jim Redmond stepped aside and his son crossed by himself. And the, the crowd exploded. Everybody was emotional. Derek collapsed in his father's arms. And he had finished a race 
the world would never forget. Listen, listen, friends. You can fight the good fight. You can finish the race. You can keep the faith, but not because of your tenacity. Not because of your determination or your will. Not because of your power. You can finish the race because God's grace is sufficient unto you. And just when you think you cannot go any longer, your Father in heaven will push through the crowd. And he will take you in his embrace and he will carry you across the finish line. For when you are weak, he is strong. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. I have been faithful to the God that has been faithful to me. Be faithful to him. Note story. On October 23rd of 1983, it was a Sunday morning, Beirut, Lebanon, there was a multinational peacekeeping force in place put there by the United Nations, mostly comprised of soldiers from France and had some American soldiers uh, in there as well. Um, in a day before suicide bombings were as common as they are today. I'm not saying they didn't happen in those days, because they did. But they certainly were not as common as we see today. But in, in a day when most people didn't understand what a suicide bomber was, it was much less common. Two suicide bombers drove two trucks with over 12,000 pounds of explosives into the barracks that housed those soldiers, sailors, and airmen from the United States and from France. Three hundred people were killed that day. Two hundred and forty-one Americans. Two hundred and twenty Marines, eighteen sailors, three army soldiers killed. Very few people survived that blast. But one soldier who did survive was named Lance Corporal Jeff Nashton. Lance Corporal Nashton was critically injured. His legs were broken. His lungs had been collapsed. His, his skull was fractured. He had a broken jaw. and His jaw had to be wired shut. He could not talk. The, the explosion had rendered him blind from, a, from the trauma to his eyes. And, and so he was taken from Beirut to an air base, uh, to an American base in Germany. And while in the hospital there in Germany, the Commandant of the United States Marine Corps, the highest ranking Marine soldier in the nation, a four-star general who serves as who served in that day on you know, President Reagan's Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Paul Kelly, flew into Germany to visit Lance Corporal National in the hospital. And so when the nurses come in, they tell the Lance Corporal who is there, uh, who was standing there by his bed. He could not believe it. And so General Kelly took Lance Corporal Nashton's hands and he put them up on his shoulders where the, the stars were for his rank insignia. And the Lance Corporal began counting those stars. And one, two, three, four. He realized there was a general standing in front of him. He did his best to give the general a salute. And he wanted to say something to the general and, and uh, he, uh, he asked for a, a notepad around that time the general had, had uh, presented the Lance Corporal with a purple heart and pinned it to 
his hospital gown, and the general had said, on behalf of the President of the United States and the grateful nation, this is for your sacrifice. And, and so the Lance Corporal had asked for that pen and paper, wanted to respond. And the nurse uh, handed him a pad. Actually, the nurse was afraid to give him the pad and let him hold it because he wasn't that strong and he couldn't see. And so the nurse sort of held the pad in her hand and she took the pen and put it in his hand and put his hand down there on the pad where he could write. And the Lance Corporal wrote two words. And he wrote those two words. He turned the pad around and showed General Kelly. The general, the highest ranking Marine in all of the United States, began to weep. He reached up and took the four stars off of one of his shoulders and he put it in the hand of the Lance Corporal and he sort of clasped his hands together, folded his hands up with those stars in there. And he said, Son, you deserve these a lot more than I do. You know what those two words were that the Lance Corporal had written? To the general? If you're a Marine in here, you probably know those two words. Simplify. You know what that means? Always faithful. Always faithful. What a great slogan. What a great motto. What a great sort of uh, phrase to guide our life. Not only as a soldier, but for a believer. To be always faithful. God has always been faithful to you. Doesn't it make sense that you should be faithful unto Him? This morning, some of us need to be praying, God, help me to live faithfully. Help me to be faithful unto you so that one day, one day, see, the, the dream is that one day we will step into eternity and we will be received by a loving Savior and he will open his arms and he will say unto us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray.